Hi everyone, my name is PK, and here is a, like a very, very, very special guest, Tyrone Shum. You probably know him from number one podcast in Australia for property property invest story. He is like. Let me be straight up with you guys. When I was still in my nine to five, I used to work at uh, Virgin. Every day I would drive to work and I would listen to Property Invest Story. You know, there's other podcasts out there, but I loved listening to stories, like kind of cliche, that's the intention, right? But it's like just real what's and all, what people have done, what are they doing? And it's like, you know, no sales agenda. It's just like real stories. And that inspired me to just take it to the next level. In my own journey, I left my nine to five and I could say, probably hand on my heart that your podcast was a instrumental aspect of me leaving my nine to five as well, Tyrone. But guys, Tyrone Shum, he's done 820 episodes with like the 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 titans of Australian real estate, whether it's property managers, buyers, agents, course creators, um, you know, conveyances, mortgage brokers, developers, just like the who's who. So in this episode, what I'm hoping we can get out of it. And a lot of pressure on Tyrone is like, you know, if he kind of dips his hand into the goodie bag of insights that he's learned of doing 820 episodes with the who's who in property in Australia and gives us his best, you know, tips, tricks, learnings, mistakes from other people. So we don't need to make those mistakes. And of course, his own personal story, which is really inspirational. He's a very thoughtful person, which I admire a lot. And he's also, um, how, how do you say, like mentally very astute. The mindset is very strong. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name is PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence, and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Thank you so much, Tyrone, for for making time. Thank you so much, PK. And I want to say I'm really humbled and I feel a lot of pressure. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just Uh, kidding. No, no, I really, really appreciate everything that you've shared. And, and, you know, realistically, I think it takes time. Like, I, I know I've got a lot of accolades that you've, you've praised about. And I really, really appreciate it. I thank you so much for being a supporter of the podcast for so long. And I'm so happy that, you know, the podcast has given you a chance to, yeah, to quit your job and do the things that you're passionate about. So, you know, praise to you for that. And I just want to say to everyone, you know, it's possible to do a lot of things that I've done because it's just about consistency and persistent. And, you know, if you put it in perspective, I've been doing the podcast since 2017. Yes, I've interviewed a lot of people, but I think the key thing that uh, everyone probably doesn't realize is that there's been just a lot of consistent and scheduled, I guess, interviews that happen. You know, when I first started, I had nothing there and had no contacts, no nothing. And just by consistently interviewing the people, learning from each and everyone, taking their learnings away and then just applying it, it just helped me grow. And people will see that, I guess, over the journey that I share about my own journey as well too. So yeah, thank you so much for the intro and it's it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. <laughs> no, I feel like we're we're having an opportunity right now to kind of 
this is super corny, but like stand on the shoulders of giants. Cause that's what you've done. Like with your podcast, you've learned and you've expedited your journey. And hopefully we can also do that by then standing on your shoulders for a second or two, but maybe let's start with your own property journey. Uh, I think you've maybe mentioned this a couple of times before, but it's, it's very much like in, in the background, what mm. is your journey in property? You know, did you have a nine to five? Why did you start the podcast? But more importantly, like, you know, have you been a property investor? How have you been involved in investing in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, I guess we'll probably just start back on firstly, how I got into property initially. I've always had an interest in, I guess, making money. That's probably where it started off from a very young age. My parents, particularly my father, ran a, a business and that business had been successful for many, many years. And I guess from there, he taught me the first thing is, is that, you know, run your own business and try to be successful in that so I started looking and searching for ways. I, I dabbled in shares. I dabbled in property as well. And I think this was going back to around about uni days when I started to, to learn more about these kind of things. But the key thing that my father was saying to me, you know, eventually run your own business and you can obviously, you know, make a lot more money because my dad lived a reasonably, you know, comfortable life. And I guess I didn't want to sort of <laughs> move out and then realize that, you know, life is so hard. So, I wanted to continue to keep that up. And it was interesting because that's where I pursued. I actually started in pursuing and creating a business first um, rather than actually going out to really work a nine-to-five job full-time. You know, I guess looking back in hindsight, and I've shared this on a few other podcasts, is that probably was better for me to have gone out and done a nine-to-five job to be able to start in the property journey that I eventually did. But my first start was actually run a business. And a lot of times, the businesses that I ran were actually growing our passion. So the first one that I actually ran was a dragon boat business where I actually just created um, or imported a lot of paddles um, due to the fact that I actually wanted to buy a paddle for myself. So I was actually heavily involved in this um, dragon boat competition type of thing, which is all across Australia. You know, a lot of people may have, may or may not have heard about dragon boating, but it's a quite a competitive type of sport. There's about 20 people in a boat and you race down, you know, particularly for Chinese New Year, which is now <laughs> happening right now. Those competitions are happening, you know, right now on Darling Harbour. And um, there was this part where it got to a really competitive state. As I said, I got um, invited to go to States to compete, which I, I did attend and won. We won gold at, at Canberra, yes. but also got invited to international, which was to travel all around the world and, and compete in different, you know, international, which I, I didn't because there was a lot of time commitment for my part that I couldn't commit to. But um, at that point in time, when you start getting competitive, you start spending more money on your gear, <laughs> uh, clothing. Uh, shoes, ba- uh, paddles, etc., all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that were really, really hard to get was paddles back then because no one actually imported a lot of these paddles from overseas. And we're talking about expensive carbon fiber light paddles. We're not talking about wooden paddles that they use in Hong Kong and China. Okay. These are carbon fiber, really, really light, and they're very, very strong. And um, to get one of these paddles, just to sort of give you a background story, it's probably going to cost about three or $400 to import it into Australia. Um, I wanted to try and get a paddle for free if I could import a bulk amount, which is what I did. And, you know, before I knew, I actually got involved and spoke to the suppliers overseas and said to them, look, you know, I've got a team of people who want to buy these paddles, like, you know, 40 or 50 of these paddles. Can we get a bunch over here? And they said, yeah, sure. You know, you just pay upfront, whatever the cost is, and then, you know, bring it back. So I managed to just get everyone all together in the team to pay upfront, you know, get all these paddles and import 40 odd paddles plus and, you know, get myself a free paddle because, you know, one of the free paddles was the profit margin from there. So, <laughs> I was like, great, <laughs> got myself a free paddle. And that's kind of how the business started because I thought myself, there's actually an opportunity here because there's such a huge demand. 
but lack of supply. So long story short, I ran that business for many years and uh, yeah, became very, very successful in that. We, we pretty much dominate the market because we brought all the Dragon Boat brands into Australia and offered all across Australia and clubs and schools and stuff were ordering from us online. And the good thing is, is that it was a business that was online. I didn't have to be physically there at the events to sell them. I actually just said to people, you know, this is our, our website, go to the website, put the order through and process it. Yeah, so that's where my journey started. Eventually, I sold that business. And, you know, this is why it was important to to know about that background story was because that business actually paid for my first property. Right. Um, so, you know, the earnings from that, I, I was able to put into purchasing a property in Sydney, which is a, a property that um, was our principal place of residence as well. Actually, I should mention before that as well, I should have said that I did purchase a property long, long time ago before that, maybe about five or six years before purchasing one in Sydney was like a regional town. And that was sort of my foray into property, but that one didn't work out so well. And I guess I'll, I'll probably lead into that just to sort of give people an understanding where it was. So I guess once I finished university, and as I said, I ran a business for many years and I dabbled in d- totally different things as well. Um, I stumbled across Steve McKnight, um, who, who wrote the book Zero to 130 Properties in Three and a Half Years. And I was like, wow, you know, I wanted to do what he did. It's a huge, huge undertaking to buy 130 properties, especially in that short period of time. And Steve did very, very well with his business partner, which is Dave Bradley. And I guess what I wanted to learn from him was how to do that. And that's why I took part, partay in his coaching program and became part of that group. And and that's kind of where my property learnings all started. As I mentioned earlier, I wanted to make money. And there was three ways I was trying, businesses, shares, and property. That wouldn't be shares, I made a few losses, made some money as well, but it wasn't for me because it was too volatile. So I jumped out of that, stuck in business, and I also got involved in property. And when I started learning about property, I was thinking, how can I actually buy property just like what Steve's doing using his rule, which back then was, you know, if you look at a property that was returning $100 of rental income per week and you only purchased it for like, say, $40,000, you are getting yourself a minimum of at least 10% return. I thought, that's yeah. fantastic. You buy enough of those, you know, you can accumulate, you generate a lot of passive income. And that's what I thought I'd do. I'd start buying, you know, 10, 20 of these properties. I didn't do that in the end because um, it was too, very, very hard work. But I did firstly start anyway to buy my first commercial property in a regional town called West Wyalong. That one was returning about two twenty a week and I purchased it for about $100,000. And I thought, perfect, you know, I'm getting positive cash flow. Yeah. Now, I didn't know too much about how the markets worked in terms of you know metropolitan areas and passive income and all that. All I knew was that if I bought enough properties, I could generate passive income. And my goal was to generate at least a thousand dollars a week. You know, being a uni student and stuff like that. Times are different now after about twenty years, I think it is. <laughs> and 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 I think the challenge that now we're all sort of looking at is is how can we actually build our asset wealth, our, our our portfolio of, of wealth, not necessarily just cash flow, but the wealth of what we have. And what I didn't know back then, which I know now, because this is all in hindsight, is that regional towns didn't have much capital growth. They had great cash flow, but capital growth was really poor. So after about five years or so, I decided to put that one on the market to sell because I was looking to buy my principal place of residence. And unfortunately, the market didn't move at all. It didn't go up. I mean, I made money in terms of cash flow, but after what five years, it's still I sold it for one hundred five thousand, maybe made five thousand. But after taxes and you know all that, I still didn't make any money. So that was a huge learning lesson for me. Is that you know if you look at buying regional, yes, you'll get good cash flow, which might be part of your strategy, but you won't get the kind of growth, the capital growth that people are looking for to grow their asset base or grow their wealth. 
And I think just to talk about, I guess, key learning lessons, that's one of the key learning lessons from what, for many, many of the uh, investors, the guests I've had on the show is that you can contrast that. And I think the key thing is that if I was to look at hindsight and go back and say to myself, <laughs> invest only in metro cities, that's where you'll build you know, tremendous wealth because you know, if, if you only just buy one or two of these regional properties, you, you will not make a lot of money, unfortunately. You need to buy a lot, which is what Steve McKnight did. And hence the reason why zero to 130 properties was what they needed to be able to achieve you know, a tremendous amount of wealth. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So, what, so just to ask you one question, yeah. what was the period of time in which you hold, held that uh, regional property for that five-year period? What, what were the years? Do you remember? Oh, it was straight after, I think, university. So I finished and graduated around about 2000 in uni. And I sort of purchased it, I think, for me, it was about 2001. Um, yeah, 2001, and then held it to about 2006, 2007. Okay. And then that, at that point in time, I realized I can't you know, hold on to it for too much longer because it was just not doing anything. And I needed the cash anyway as part of the purchase. You know, Because I, by that time, I'd sold my business. I needed some additional cash to be able to purchase the property that I purchased in Sydney. And also, too, I needed some additional income, you know, once I sold the, the business to be able to do other things as well, too. So, yeah, it was sort of around about mid-2000s as well, around that time. Yeah. And, um, you know, by then, I think it was very interesting times because the fact was that um, property markets had moved. Sydney had doubled already, you know, after about that cycle. And I look back and go, wow, if I had actually purchased a property in Sydney, which I did anyway, um, Earlier than then, that those five to six years, I would have got a lot more capital growth than what I would have done in a regional town. And that's, you know, upon reflection. And this is where speaking to a lot of the investors I interviewed, a lot of them did purchase properties 20 years ago. You know, when you think about it, it's now 2023, 20 years ago, if you had purchased from 2000 to now, um, yes, you guarantee pretty much you would have at least tripled your portfolio if you had purchased, you know, multiple properties in uh, metropolitan towns or cities such as Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, even Brisbane. And um, that's where tremendous wealth is grown because by then, if you've held on to those properties, it would have easily doubled in value. Say properties back then you would have purchased for maybe about three, 400,000. They're worth over 1.2, 1.5, even some are 2, 2.5 mil. And you have 10 of those. Imagine the amount of actual equity that you've built up over the years and you would pay down those loans you know, substantially as well too. So just to give you hindsight, it is definitely a, a great journey if you had started back then. But in today's time, in 2023, because prices are so high, say at one one mil on average for a home in say Sydney, even that even Sydney, you can't even get them for that kind of price, even a house and land. Um, the amount of actual movement that these places will have is not going to be as much as going from two hundred thousand to say a million dollars to move from say one point five to I don't know two mil. 2.5 mil is pretty yeah, I guess the 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 value of the prices have to go up substantially in order for it to actually make it worthwhile and with you know prices have gone up so much there's not going to be that much movement and especially wages being still so low people can't afford to do to, to purchase it so what I'm trying to say the lesson learned from that is that you really can't just buy and hold strategy that strategy doesn't really work that well in current market you probably have to purchase something add value to it, whether it be renovate it, develop it, do whatever you can to add value to be able to get an uplift. And that's how you probably will be able to create wealth. And yeah. I guess that's the reason why it's so important to hear these amazing stories from all these different type of investors who have talked about their journey because 
the market has changed and they've had to evolve to do that. And a lot of them say the same thing. They've got to a certain point, they've either moved in commercial or they've just started developing properties because they can't see the value of just buying more of these properties. Yeah, sure. No, that that's a really, really important point. And I want everyone to connect to that as well, because it's so easy for like a, a course creator like myself or a buyer's agent or anyone in the industry to say, look, I've left my nine to five based on this strategy. So therefore you should now apply the same strategy and you'll also leave the nine to five in seven years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever the case may be. But a strategy that worked in the past doesn't necessarily work again in the future. It doesn't mean that it's a bad strategy, but you need to add some nuance, just like the strategies that would have worked between, let's say, 1980 to year 2000 needed to be different, perhaps, to the strategies between 1960 and 1980. So things move on, the principles will stay the same, but we need to to maneuver and navigate a different environment in in terms of economics, price points, different um, regions across Australia. So I I really like this point of of you saying that uh, blindfolded, you know, dart on the Australian map, you know, buy and hold strategy, let's buy as many as we can. It's just not going to work. I mean, your borrowing capacity is going to cap out. Then right. there is a need to add value in this day and age. If, if of course, you want to leave your nine to five quickly, mm. if you're happy to to wait, you know, 25 years, 20 years, 30 years, more, a little bit less, then maybe it can work depending on your passive income target, but there's a better way to go about it. And so Sorry. having having known that or having digested that from all of these guests that you've interviewed, what did you do about it? Like, did you get demoralized and say property investing isn't for me? Or did you go into commercial, into development, into renovation? And I guess I'm asking you this question, Tyrone, is like a lot of people, like they're really scared of doing the more active strategies. So like, did you do them? And how did you get over that kind of hurdle of doing something a bit more high risk? Yeah. It's a really good question that you asked me and, and to answer your question, no, I didn't get demoralized. You actually gave me a better realization because if what you don't know is going to be obviously a lot more risky and that's the challenge is that people say it's risky because they don't know what the challenges are. They don't know what's involved and by having that knowledge, it helps you de-risk and then realize, okay, maybe there is a faster and better way to actually achieve it because who wants to wait 25 years to retire? I mean, maybe a lot of people don't mind that. Um, but you know, I think if you can achieve something faster and say half the time in a lot less riskier environment and also way of doing it with the right strategy, then you know you can achieve tremendous amount of wealth. So it made me open up my eyes to a lot more because if I didn't actually meet these many people and I didn't see all these learnings, I probably would have just gone and followed the usual, you know, buy 10 in 10 years. And and that's what has been harped on for many, many years by a lot of people out there, you know, particularly experts and stuff like that. Yes, it may have worked, you know, back then, and it may still continue to work. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying is that it will take a long time. <laughs> and um, unless you're buying really, really well under market and making, you know, your entry point at a very, very good price, and you get it for less than what you know, twenty percent what the market is, then you've made your uplift as soon as you go in. Then yeah, you know, that will work. But for the average property investor who has been, you know, just looking to buy, hold it, and then just get those properties just to appreciate in value. It doesn't work. And even my father's tried that many, many years and um, it's t- still taken him more than 20 years for it to actually appreciate to where it has been. And his only place that he's now kept is his principal place of residence now. He doesn't even hold any investment properties because he felt it took too long. But coming back to what you asked me, 
what did I do? Well, the thing is, is that then I started to explore what are the different options. If the buy and hold strategy isn't as effective in this current market in today's time, what are the other options? So I started looking to development. That was the first thing I looked at, which can incorporate renovations, um, adding value to property, developing them, you know, maybe splitting them into a subdivision, one into two, or maybe turning them into a townhouse development. Whatever the development strategy was, there are multiple different types, but I start exploring that avenue to see how I can add value because ultimately, if you want to purchase something, you want to get an uplift in it in a shorter space of time, maybe 18 months, maybe two years. But I don't want to be waiting 10, 15 years for it to double in value before anything comes out of it. That's that's one of the first strategies I looked at. Second one was to actually look into um, money lending, I guess you can say. just that That's another option that I looked into because I did have some capital and some cash available in my own assets. And I thought, maybe I could just lend those out while I wait. And this is where the story started was that about three years ago when I started looking into development, I had a property development coach who was um, supporting me, giving me guidance on what I was doing in my journey. And I did look a lot you know, at different properties. And I kind of got to a point where after about 12 months of frustration, I couldn't find the deal. The deal was so tough. And you know, my mindset back then was just thinking, I don't have the money too as well. So what am I going to do? But everyone kept saying to me, the money will come when the deal is really, really good. So I just kept that um, in the back of my mind. I kept you know, believing that even though I didn't have any money, nor did I have a deal, I just kept looking. But after 12 months, I got frustrated. And she said, look, you know, let me introduce you to a few connections that are developers and also renovators who actually have deals that are currently on the go. They need some funding. Would you be interested in having a look? So I said, yeah, that's fine. So I was introduced to, to this person up in Queensland who had a deal of one into two sublot one into two yeah subdivision the front house was a bit run down so need a little bit of tender loving care tlc which we did we renovate the front and the back we could subdivide and then sell off you know so the plan was to finish the renovations subdivide the back block and sell it off and we just needed some funding so that deal seemed to stack up really well there's a lot of profit in it and because of the podcast i was able to attract investors to be able to put into that deal and that's what we did now Interestingly enough, that particular deal was just a joint venture. It wasn't a lending kind of deal. It was basically the, the investor put his money in there, whatever shares we get, he'd get a fixed return and then we'd get like basically a percentage of the profits. And unfortunately, when that deal came on the market to sell, that's when COVID hit, which was 2020. And um, that particular property took another 12 months afterwards to sell, which after 12 more months of, of delay, we didn't make any money in terms of profit for us. But the investor was able to walk away with his return, which is fine for him. That's what we promised him. Right. Now, learning lesson from that one was, yes, development can work, but you've got to make sure that you have you know, all the criteria and everything that's been checked out. And obviously, we didn't know the market was going to change. Luckily, that wasn't just the one development deal I went to. I had another one that was brought to me in, in Victoria. It was a one into four lot subdivision. And this investor said to me, well, this developer, Opposite said to me, he just needs um, some money because unfortunately, one of his relatives passed away very suddenly and he was going to be short because he didn't want to keep those funds. He wanted to return it back to the deceased. So he did that and we said, look, we'll invest into it. In that one, I didn't have to do any work because I was not a joint venture partner. I just had to just put money in there and then we just get a fixed return. And that fixed return was quite quite good. And um, basically, for 12 months, I think I was going to get paid about 15% per annum return on that one and I just had to put my money in there. Now, interesting thing enough, when I invested into that deal, it was 2019, 2020, during COVID, around April 2020, when COVID hit, 
he approached me and said, hey, look, Tyrone, I've actually got someone who wants to refinance this whole deal out for you and I want to pay you out right now with you know the same terms. In actual fact, I don't mind if, if I pay you the 12 months now of, of what you've done, uh, just putting, putting the money in and um, you don't need to worry about waiting out till the end. So in six months' time, I got the same rate as 12 months and I said, yeah, for sure, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience of actually putting my money as an investor and just lending it out and getting a return. And that's where that journey started to actually start lending funds out. And I thought, wow, if I could do it right now with one of my, you know, deals and so forth, then I could probably, you know, see it and find other deals, which is what happened. Other deals start coming my way. And I got to a point where I don't have all the money in the world where I said, all right, look, guys, this is what I'm doing. I said this to a lot of my investors on the podcast. This is what I'm doing. Would anyone be interested in actually participating in part of these deals together to go with me? And organically, in a short space of time, a couple of years, we started to form a lot of funds together and we started investing into a lot of development deals. So that's where my journey led me more or less is to invest a lot of the funds that I had from equity, from um, other investors. And we started you know, getting very, very good returns through lending funds out uh, and getting security along the property developments that we've been involved in. So long story short, coming back to where I was talking about where my journey's kind of again, I went, explored development. I once I started exploring development, I went into financing, which is basically lending funds out. And then through that, I learned a lot about developments because when you actually assess the deal, you learn a lot about the development itself without actually doing the development as such. Because then you can actually see what the numbers are, who the builders, all the paperwork that's involved, how they do the processes, because that's part of the due diligence to make sure that the project is going to succeed at the end. And a lot of times now I realize that majority of a successful project is to do with the financing. If they can't finance a project, they can't finish the project off because ultimately at the end of the day, they need the money to be able to pay to say, for example, the builders, the tradespeople, et cetera, to finish the project and then obviously to do all the marketing and stuff. But that's all reliant on other people. So it's been an interesting journey because that's kind of where I've kind of ended up on my um, property investment journey. But in terms mm. of the overall where I would you know, learn from all the property podcasts, episodes and the guests that I've interviewed, I feel like a lot of them have all now been sort of moving towards the side of adding value and development, you know, whether it be a renovation, whether it be a subdivision, whether it be building, you know, four-pack, 10-pack townhouses. Um, those are sort of where the people are sort of heading nowadays because that's where the market seems to be. And that's a huge learning for me is that if I didn't interview all the people who did buy and hold strategy, buy and renovate, et cetera, who've held these large portfolios, um, I wouldn't have been able to understand how the dynamics of all that work. And even when I speak to them with the large portfolios, a lot of them all said that they were just going back into development because you know they've got enough properties now to hold. They want to develop them and, and add more value to increase the value of them. Yeah. It's so. a natural progression, I suppose. You you start from the start. That's all that we can do. We start with the first step. I think like Confucius said, the longest journey starts with the first step. And then when you realize the fallacies in perhaps the the initial um, journey or mm. the strengths. And you can say, is it for me or can I do something more? Can I do something more? Yeah. And w- exactly what you've articulated is what my realization was as well, Tyrone. Um, a quick thing, you know, I think around, was it 2016, 17, we did a similar kind of deal to what you did. It was a corner block with an old Queenslander at the front and a granny flat at the back. Uh, We cut that up into three renovated, preserved the Queenslander, renovated it, uh, uprooted the granny flat, sold it, 
put yeah. two townhouses on the back of it to do that deal back in those days in uh, in Cooperu and in, in Brisbane. You know, now oh, you yes. couldn't do it, but back then you could do it for. We needed about three hundred three fifty thousand dollars cash yeah. um, to do that deal, um, and it took. We thought it was going to take two years. It took three years, and we got about let's say just over a hundred percent cash on cash return. So cool. nothing to be like um, looked down upon, right? Like that's still Absolutely. decent money. Yeah. But then when you think about it on an annualized basis, that's like 30, I'm just making rough numbers, 30% return cash on yep. cash. Yep. And I did so, you know, we did so much work, the headache. And of course, one school of thought is this high risk. You can control the risk, but there's, there's a lot of moving parts. There's mm. a lot of active work to be done. If you can invest in these types of projects passively and get, let's say, a 15% return, then that's like half of the return anyway, without having to do anything. Right. Of course, you're, you're yeah. building, you're putting in the funds, but when, when actually, when you actually do that, you know, when you even start that journey of investing, you realize, okay, I needed to do that deal to realize that actually these small scale developments, they're probably not worth it for my risk appetite, for my personality. I mm. rather just invest passively. Yeah. Maybe if we're doing commercial projects, a service station, all of a sudden the cash on cash return becomes more than 200, 250%. It takes five years. Maybe that's a different story. But my realization was, was exactly the same as yours. And I think that's still a and one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is I still think it's a, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say like an immature or an industry, an infancy where people who know how to do these deals can find these deals, which by the way, like you said, are not just like a dime a dozen. It took you 12 months and you still didn't find it. Yeah. It's not like you can just, you know, you know, it's not a predictable thing all, in all instances, but some people who can do it because they've got the team, they've got the expertise, they've got the experience, just hook up with them and then you can get, you know, a slice of that pie without doing anything. Yes. Um, it, it's still, do you think this enough people know about it? Do you think that it's a industry in its infancy, this concept of, you know, bringing people together, money partners, and then the people who know what they're doing in terms of the deals? Well, I mean, there there are people out there teaching this stuff and there are people out there doing it. But the challenge is, is who do you trust? Because ultimately, um, if, if you go into the deal blindly and, and with the wrong person, it can go disastrously wrong. And I've seen that happen as well too many times with so many investors I've spoken to. So the, care, the, the challenge that we face is who you know in the, I guess, in the industry. And because I've been in sort of what we call this private space of lending, um, you, it's a very small market. So you kind of know who's around and what's who and so forth. And that's where you kind of realize, oh gosh, you know, there, are, there aren't that many deals out there that are very, very profitable um, that can actually be easily funded. And, and I guess the challenge is, is, you know, it's who you know. I, I just had the wrong mindset, you know, not, not really thinking it through carefully. And it's the same thing with finance as well too. Back then, as I said, I had a limiting mindset saying that I, I had to have all the money myself. I had to, you know, invest all the funds. But then I after so many, so many years of now doing it, the money actually just flows automatically. And I find that finding funding and sourcing a project funding is much easier compared to say finding the deal. Um, it, it depends on every person's situation, but that's what I've noticed as well. And the mindset has completely shifted. I feel like, you know, if somebody threw me a deal and it does stack up really well, I can easily go and fund it because the, pro the project shows it's profitable, um, the sponsor's strong, the due diligence has been done, then you know, you'll know you have people lining up literally. And that's the thing with a lot of our deals. If they're really good, 
usually they get filled within a, a, literally a couple of days. That's how quick they are. So, you know, I can't get any more deals for people when they keep knocking my door saying, you know, when's the next deal? When's the next deal? <laughs> um, but yeah, there is a lot of money out there. That's that's my lim- That was my limiting mindset that I changed and a huge learning. Now, it may be different for other people because, you know, at the beginning of this episode, you said that, you know, if you kept buying property and holding on property, there will be a certain cap, you know, to your lending. And that is true for an individual. But if you actually think about it in terms of how much money there is in the world, if you actually get the right people and you know the contacts and you you find a deal that stacks up really well, then finding that together in a group situation or finding with the right contacts, you can actually get the money to do the deal. And that's why a lot of people don't realize, and I've learned that from the podcast, is that they just are stuck on going, okay, I'm just going to go to the bank. I'm just going to speak to my mortgage broker. And they said, I can't get funding. Then, well, this deal is going to fall over. There's actually so many different options, you know, friends and family, joint venture partners, private lending. If you look outside the square, you will find the money because ultimately, if the deal stacks up really well, money will be thrown at you. That's how, you know, I I see it at this point in time. And I've, I've looked at it from so many different angles. And that's what my mindset shift has been. So that kind of ties in really well because ultimately at the end of the day, if you want to build a successful, say, portfolio, you want to build passive income, yes, finance is going to be a crucial component, but you also need to make sure that you do find the right people, such as a good team. And then from that good team, that will bring in the best deals possible. Yeah. And I like it how, you know, you're talking about mindset and you started off with that story. I was wondering where you're going with it, with the with the paddles and everything. Um because like when you when you solve a problem, when you sell something and you solve a problem, you add value to another party, whether they're a business or a um, consumer, an everyday person, and you get paid in return. Mm. I don't know how it was for you, um, Tyrone, but for me, it was like, there's something that changes in your brain. It's like, I no longer need to, you know, exert energy or mm. time to be paid, but if I can solve problems, if that's I can right. add value, that's the definition of a business, adding value, add value. to yeah. someone, you, there's an abundance mindset that immediately clicks in and, and bringing that into property as well, whether it's a simple, like you said, buy and hold strategy, fine, but then try to subdivide it, try to renovate it, try to add value because that's going to expedite your journey to leaving your nine to five. And then obviously you're taking it further with the developments that that mindset shift is so, so important because I'm from a culture where even taking debt is frowned upon. What to speak <laughs> of like all this fancy stuff that we're talking yes. about now. But I know that this conversation has kind of piqued the interest of so many people and be like, all right, um, fine. Like I want to now invest in development deals because apparently they're, they're, the, they're the new thing, like they're, they're really <laughs> lucrative. But I want you to answer this question, Tyrone, because just in taking your money and giving it to others in the hope of a return is a fool's mindset. That's you need right. To no do way. The due yeah. Diligence yourself. You can't yeah. outsource the accountability. You can't outsource the responsibility for your own money. So, like for someone, let's say I know nothing about property right now, and I'm PK, and I come to you, Tyrone, because I've watched this episode, I've listened to this episode, and you bring me a project. How on earth do I know whether it's a good project? How on earth do I know? Of course, there's lots of technical things, but at a high level, how do I even assess whether Tyrone is BSing, whether the project is is crap or it actually mm. has legs? Because I don't have the experience that you do. Yeah. Well, first thing I, I will mention, I've got to you know really um, be open about this as well. 
not everyone can actually provide these type of deals and not everyone can actually subscribe or actually go involved into these deals as part of ASIC um, and because I've also got an AFSL license, which is for Australian Financial Services License, um, we can only work with sophisticated wholesale investors and that requirement is a must for us. So what does that mean? Now, a sophisticated investor is someone who's either earning over $200,000 a year in, in income, um, whether for business or their, their personal income through their work or they have an asset base of over $2 million of net you know, assets. So that's one of the key requirements. And what that means is that by putting that requirement in place, it means that you've had some experience of investing. You've either done property development, you've either invested into property, you own property, et cetera, those kind of things. So a lot of these investors that we work with are usually high net individuals who have already had that experience and knowledge behind it. Now, for the beginner, I wouldn't even highly, I don't want to recommend this. Um, but the thing is, is that you will obviously need to get to that point where you learn about this. So in order to start out to do these type of things, my suggestion would be is to start small. You know, don't go into a big development where they're doing like, you know, a 10 townhouse subdivision or whatever it is. Start small, like, you know, look in to see if you can find a, a partner or experienced developer who has maybe to, to do maybe a purchase of a block of land and then subdivide it into one into two. Because if you understand that process initially, how development works, and you understand the challenges and you you have patience for the timing, because there are going to be delays, guarantee that nothing's going to run smoothly to, to plan with development. <laughs> the council can always put you know blocks in place that you don't know about. And that's what usually happens. I've been in development projects where we initially had planned for six months. And because of the council stuffing up one little thing, it has delayed the project by another six months. So 12 months later, we still haven't been able to dig in the ground and start you know, building. But that's what we factor in for these kind of projects as well. But I'd suggest you know, learning from experience firstly, just to understand how development, even if it's building your own home, that gives you good insight on what a development project can look like or even just renovating a home. You know, when I grew up, I was very fortunate in some ways when I look back at it in hindsight, not that I enjoyed it at the time, but that my father renovated his houses all the time. Whenever we moved into another house, like it was a rundown house, dad would say, pick up the tool, son, let's go and do this and this and this. And I'd have to renovate, whether it be painting the walls, um, changing lights, doing the gardening, all those kind of things really teaches you about how to look after property. And I guess after that many years, I know how to do my own things here at my own home, which is great. But Obviously, I would not pick up a hammer or be a tradesperson when doing my development projects. I would prefer to give that experience or that expertise to someone else. I would rather just manage the project and look over it, but to have the experience of knowing what to do, that is very, very important. And you can't buy that. That only comes through experience and, and education and learning. Yeah. So I guess for people out there who are looking at these kind of things and wanting to go, oh, wow, this sounds great. They're getting a great return. You will need to have some level of experience and knowledge behind it. And even if some of them are sophisticated investors who have never done this before, obviously we will try and show them what to do, you know, in terms of due diligence wise and stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they will need to do their own due diligence and seek expert advice from financially and legal advice as well too. And I'm no expert in, you know, providing that advice. All we all we can do is go, okay, look, we'll look at the deal, provide you all the information that you need, and you need to do your own due diligence. Yeah. But as a, as a high level, if I'm talking for me, when I'm actually looking at a deal, the key things that I look at just so that people can understand what we do in terms of our projects, sponsor is key. Who is the sponsor? Do all the background checks. Have they had any historical rate to bad credit? Have they had any um, bankruptcy, et cetera, those kind of things? If they haven't, then that's a great tick on the box. Secondly, location of the property. We don't usually do anything in regional. It's always in metro and it's got to be in a growth area. And that's what we look out for. Does a project stack up in terms of feasibility? 
is it really, really profitable? If there's a good enough profit above 20%, then it's a great project. Um, the other thing is we get independent valuations to make sure that whatever the values of the property that purchased that is actually that market value. And we also get bank valuations as well too to make sure that backs it up in, in, intentionally. And then we also do final checks is basically other things such as um, historical records on the area. We also get bank statements. We we actually do quite a lot of background due diligence behind a deal. So we want to know so much in and out. And and if it's going all the way to say, you know, construction and building and so forth, we obviously need to find out about the builder too. And we do a lot of due diligence background that because ultimately if the builder um, has had experience and they can do these type of builds, then more than likely, historically, they will actually finish a project. But if they don't, then there's a good chance that they may not be a succeed and that's where we'll get stuck. So sure. we do all those kind of checks as well. But overall, as a project, you really have to learn about it. And I think that the key thing is, it's, we don't have enough time in this episode to share that, but to take a development course, whether it be you know any of the ones that you know PKs takes or anything that I've got, most welcome for you to reach out and ask me about them. But I think that's the key thing: is educate yourself before jumping into these type of deals. Sure. No, this is this is really really useful, and I, and I hope everyone who is watching or listening who is a little bit more sophisticated in their investment journey is getting a lot of you know technical value add from what Tyrone is saying. And I guess the the synopsis really is you know before you can walk, learn to crawl; before you can run, learn to walk; before you can sprint, learn to run. That that's, that's right. kind of the the synopsis. And just to finish things off, I suppose Tyrone, you know, like. A lot of people who already have five, six, seven, eight properties, a few developments under their belt would have got a ton of value from this um, episode. I want to take it back now, just lastly, real quick, to the person, let's say, who lives in Melbourne, to the person who, let's say, lives in Sydney, who, you know, is on an income of 100, 150K, maybe combined income, household 200, couple of kids. They have no properties. They know nothing. They, they're they kind of figuring out what equity is. They're kind of figuring out what yield is, kind of figuring out how the Australian market works. They're bright-eyed and everyone is trying to sell them something, yeah. you know, buyers, agents, courses, mentorship programs, you know, everyone's promising the world. Having been through that whole, I suppose, ring roll yourself by virtue of interviewing everyone who's anyone in property, what would be your, I suppose, most ethical advice or as a as a, a good-hearted person, like advice to someone who's new and, and sometimes pray to, you know, investing in the wrong development project or using mm-hmm. the wrong buyer's agent or you're doing the wrong course or investing in the wrong area, following the wrong strategy. What should people do who are complete newbies to make sure they do achieve their goals of presumably exiting to nine to five at a reasonable time frame? How does that, how, what's like the first or what's the biggest advice that you can give them? Yeah. Um, I, you kind of pointed out that the one of the things that's important, firstly, and I, I won't be able to give you a direct answer about what to do, but I'm going to suggest um, this is where we start. Firstly, be very clear about your why. Your why and your goals is the number one key thing because you know you, you may go, okay, I, I, I want to try and get out of my job nine to five, but what is the reason and the goals behind on how to achieve that? Once you've actually got that down and written it clearly, then usually the other parts fall into place because a lot of times when I speak to people, a lot of them are going, just not certain about where they're heading, what are the real intentions and goals. And you really have to dig deep. And I'm not talking about just saying getting out of my nine to five, but truly, what is it that you're going to do? Because once you leave your nine to five job, what are you doing? What are you going to What are you going to achieve? What's your passions? What's your big why? And I guess it's really important because this is the mindset side of things, which is 
of the time that really, really contributes to your success in, in say, property investing or developing. And because we've just literally come back from holidays from Christmas and January, I've been able to spend a nice good three weeks without having to work and being inundated with calls and emails and all that kind of stuff to really reflect. And I've kind of re reset my mind to go, okay, what is it that I want to achieve in my life and my family and so forth? And, you know, determine the why and the reason. And if that reason is strong enough, then the rest of it usually falls in place quite easily. Now, you know, I haven't really given you a specific answer because the fact is, is that I can't recommend anyone. I'm not, you know, able to do that. All I can suggest is speak to people that you see as experts and speak to as many people as possible to be able to get some actual insight. And then once you feel that the person who, who you can connect really well with in the right gut and the strategy sounds suitable for your goals, then that would probably be the person to sort of pursue. Now, if their intention is to actually sell you something at the end of the day, then I would probably run as far away as possible. But if they're will willing to just give you a lot of their time and genuinely be able to help you set your goals or help you assist you with your goals and not necessarily sell you any property, then they're the kind of people who actually understands that process because I've met a lot of people who want me to pay, say, $30,000 upfront to be able to put together a strategic plan and then find the property for you. And then I know in the background that they'll go and you know take another cut from the sale of the property. Those are the kind of people you want to stay far, far away from. The ones who are willing to give you some time and then say, look, you know, there's no obligation. You don't have to buy anything from me. Those are the kind of people who will be able to succeed in there because they give a lot back before they take anything. And I know a lot of people, particularly mortgage brokers, you know, because they don't make any money until they actually do a loan. And if they provide you a service great up front, then I think, you know, they're the kind of people who I, I value the most in terms of services wise. Yeah. So yeah, I, I haven't really given you exactly who to go to, but I think the key thing is start with your goals and your why first. And once you get that very, very clear, then the rest of it usually falls in place. And you just got to tell the universe that's what you're looking for. And usually that comes back in, in great amounts. And that's what I've noticed, especially through my faith. Last year, as I was saying to PK earlier, I had some really, really great big challenges last year. And I just left it in my faith, left it to God. And I said, God, I trust in you. I know what this is a tough time going through. And in the end, when I just let it all go, it just all fell into place. So sometimes you just have to trust that the right people will come to your life. Yeah, that that's such profound advice. Just having a bit of trust. It's very easy not to have any trust because everyone is ultimately looking out for their own back. But having yeah. a bit of trust and starting off in in whatever your own faith is, whether um, that's God, universal, just trusting yourself, trusting your own gut. Like I feel that that is really the best place to start with. Because like you said, and what you alluded to as well, if you do exit your nine to five, you, you achieve your net wealth, your passive income goals. Let me tell you, the grass is not greener on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> I'm just like honestly telling you that from my heart is not greener. There are no greener pastures. The yes. enjoyment is in the journey itself. That's exactly um, right. So yeah. look, guys, if you want to fast track to, you know, finding those people and having those conversations, seeing who you vibe with, then do go check out um, Tyrone's um, podcast property invest story it's um, is it number one like is it do you track I, I haven't checked to be honest pk for a long time um I, I the reason why we know it's done really well is because people constantly talk to us and say look you know that's how i found you you're the number one top of itunes when you type in for property or, or yeah those kind of things and typically if you're just typing property podcast on itunes it should usually come at the top it's yeah. uh, 
Yeah, and I think that the key thing is that along the way, this is why I think the podcast has not only been valuable for myself because I intentionally did it just so I can learn as well, but to share that knowledge with everyone. Everyone gives different types of knowledge and mindset and, and tips and so forth, but having a wide range of them allows you to be able to assess and go, okay, that might suit me, that might not. And when you resonate with that story, run with it. And that's what I did. You know, When I started resonating with a few of the developers, I really like their stories behind I go, wow, that's me. I like what they do. I think I can actually achieve that. And when you have that belief, everything else falls in place. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tyron. I want to honor your time. And I know we've been going on for a while. So yeah, it's big, big shout out and and you know, big gratitude from from me to you and of course from my audience to you as well. I know this will this episode will be um, you know, it will impact a lot of people. Even if it just impacts one person, it, it's totally worth it. But I know it'll impact Absolutely. thousands of people. So yeah, thank you so much, um, Tyrone. Thank you so much, PK, for having me and uh, wishing all the best for everyone as well listening to this episode. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Catch you later.